several, several years ago, my wife, Amy, uh, decided that she wanted to learn how to knit. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried knitting before, but I remember I wasn't surprised that Amy wanted to learn how to knit. Um, you know, she's one of these amazing women that can just do so many things and do them well. Uh, you know, and she's one of these amazing women that she wants to do everything kind of uh, from scratch. So in other words, she doesn't want to go to the store and buy vegetables. She wants to have a garden and grow vegetables. She doesn't want to go to the store and buy eggs. She wants us to have chickens so we can have our own eggs laid in our backyard. She doesn't want to buy yogurt. She wants to make yogurt. She wants to brew her own kombucha. She wants to do everything when the clothes rip. She wants to sew them up. She's just like a homesteading woman. She wants to be able to do everything. And she's amazing. Like, I'm bragging on her a little bit. She didn't know I was doing this, so she's probably embarrassed. Uh, but she's an amazing woman. And so it didn't surprise me several years ago when she wanted to kind of learn how to knit. And um, man, what did surprise me was how hard it was for her. Like, she struggled to figure out how to knit. Are, are any of you, how many of you, we're going to do a little experiment. How many of you have tried, tried knitting before? How many of you have tried knitting? Let's see some hands. How many of you would call yourself a knitter? See, all hands go down. There's like three people that still have their hands up, right? Because knitting is just hard. Um, it, it, it's difficult. It, it's kind of tedious and requires a lot of attention to detail. And um, I think one of the reasons my wife struggled with it is because you have to be able to follow instructions really well. And that's not a slam on my wife, but she's just one of these people that she does things really well without even trying. People get so, it's so funny. People come to our house for dinner and she'll make this amazing meal. They're like, wow, how did you make this soup? She's like, oh, you know, you just put a little bit of garlic in there, a little bit of cumin, a little bit of this, you know, and they're like, but like how much? She goes, I don't know, whatever you feel like, you know? She's like this free-spirited hippie chef who's just in there just cooking from her heart, you know? And she never follows a recipe, never follows steps, just does everything off the cuff, and she does it amazing. But when she tried that with knitting, it just did not work. Because with knitting, if you don't follow the pattern, you're not gonna end up with what you thought you wanted to end up with. You're gonna to try to make a hat and it's gonna be like an elongated sock. You know, you're gonna to try to make a scarf and it's gonna have holes in it. Or you're gonna to try to make something and you're gonna end up with a thing that is not at all what you intended to create because in knitting, the pattern that you follow or don't follow almost always directly dictates the finished product. If you follow the pattern, you'll end up with what you want. If you don't follow the pattern, it doesn't look the way you want it to. And we're going to read a pretty decent chunk of 1 Peter today, and I think what Peter's going to do is kind of lay out kind of an invitation to think about the pattern in our lives, because the product, just like in knitting, the product of our lives is directly impacted uh, by what we pattern ourselves after. And I think Peter's going to lay this out really clearly in the text. I'm going to read all the way through. It's a big chunk of the text this morning. Uh, we're going to read all the way through it, starting in chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, and then we'll kind of come back and try to see the big picture of what Peter's trying to accomplish here. So read with me, chapter 1, verse 13. Apostle Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each, work, each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus." a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake, 
Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord out of 1 Peter. So this is a big chunk of text, and there are some big meaty theological things that are in this text. And this morning, because of time, we don't have time to like dig into every single one of those uh, theological chunks. And so what I'm hoping that we can accomplish this morning is kind of see just what it is that Peter is trying to accomplish. So if you remember, we're in the middle of this series that we're calling it a sojourner's guide, okay? And we're talking about First Peter. Peter was writing this letter to a group of people who found themselves feeling like they didn't entirely fit with the broader culture around them that there was something different about the way of life they were invited to compared to the culture around them. And I think in this text, he's going to lay out for them. He's going to say, hey, I've been telling you that when hardship comes, you have hope to cling to, that when things come at you in this world, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because of the new birth that he's given you. And now he's going to lay out, I think, two patterns Two patterns for which for us to think about how we model our lives. And if you look in verse 14, in verse 14, he says, obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you once did. So this word conform, it's only used two times in the New Testament. It's used here and it's used in Romans chapter 12 by the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul, another follower of Jesus who wrote much of our New Testament, and what he wrote in Romans chapter 12 is he said, hey, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this word conform in the original language, what it, what it meant was to pattern your life after something or to pattern your actions after something. I think what Peter is trying to get at here in 1 Peter is say, hey, listen, there is a pattern for us to follow as followers of Jesus. And he's gonna compare and contrast what I will call the pattern of the world and what he calls the pattern of holiness or the patterns of God's kingdom. And back and forth, he's going to show us that there's a difference in these two patterns. He's going to help us see those differences. And so what I want to do is just kind of walk through and say, hey, what are the differences? How do these two patterns, what are they, and how do they contrast with one another? And I think the first thing that we see is that the pattern of the world, the pattern of the world is marked by ignorance, but the pattern of the kingdom is marked by intimacy. Now, I know that sounds kind of harsh, so I want to go back to that pattern of the world thing, because, you know, in our culture, um, if you want to insult somebody really badly, just tell them that they're ignorant. I mean, if you want to insult somebody, you tell them they're intolerant or they're ignorant, and it feels like the most derogatory, insulting thing you could say to somebody, right? But I think it's really important we understand, I don't think Peter here is trying to be insulting. And so in other words, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't think Peter is, is trying to insult you by telling you that you're ignorant. I think he's using the word in just the most basic sense of what it literally means. To be ignorant of something without all the baggage that we carry with it, it simply means to be unaware. It simply means to not know. And Peter is writing to a group of Christians and he's saying, hey, listen, there was a time in your life where you didn't know. 
You didn't know about Jesus. You didn't know about the way of life that has been handed down to you from God your Father. You didn't know about the grace and forgiveness and the mercy and the love that is available to you through Jesus. He said you just didn't know. There was a time when you did not know, and so you lived unaware of the goodness of who God is and the way of life, the pattern he has for you. And so the the pattern of the world is marked by this ignorance, this unawareness of what God has for us. But the pattern of holiness pattern of God's kingdom. I love this because it's not simply marked by knowing about God. No, it is marked by intimacy. You read through this whole text that we just read and you see over and over again, Peter is going to talk about us as children with a parent. He says, as obedient children. At the very end, in in chapter 2, verse 3 that we read, he says, listen, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk It's this picture of intimacy with God. See, when you step into life with Jesus, it's not that you learn some facts about who God is. You step into this deeply intimate connection with him. I can't think of a more intimate connection, uh, you know, with parents than a a newborn child nursing with its mother. It's this beautiful picture of an innocent child that is completely dependent upon its parent for all the sustenance and nurturing that it needs. And he's saying, hey, this is what it's like. The pattern of the kingdom is marked by this level of intimacy. But Peter doesn't leave us as little babies. He says, no, so that you may grow up into your salvation. You see, this deep intimacy that we get through Jesus with the Father, it results in us getting everything we need from the Father and growing into adulthood. What I love about this is, you know, this pattern that I talked about earlier with knitting is that when my wife was first learning to knit, it's like she had to follow that pattern. It was so hard for her to do it. But she had friends who had been knitting for so long that they were making up their own patterns. They didn't need a pattern to be given to them anymore. They were so full of the knowledge and the ability that they need that they were creating with their hands, out of their minds. I think what Peter is saying here is, listen, with intimacy with God, you start off as an infant that needs spiritual milk, but you grow up into your salvation and you will begin to do things in the kingdom because the spirit is living in you and you're walking as an adult, representing God our Father here on earth. It's this amazing invitation pattern of the world is marked by this unaware, this ignorance of God and his ways, but the pattern of the kingdom is marked by intimacy with God and growing up into full adulthood. But he keeps going, you know, I think this pattern of the world that is marked by ignorance, I think what he's going to say is when you live by that pattern, you're controlled by desire. But when you live by the kingdom, by, by the pattern of the kingdom, you are soberly attentive to what's around you. Let me talk about what I mean by that. Controlled by desire, soberly attentive. And so uh, in verse 14, this is what Peter says. He says, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Uh, This word desire, I think so often in Christian circles, desire gets painted as though it's this always bad thing. Like it's bad to be filled with desire. But that's not really the case. You know, you read through the New Testament, the same word that Peter uses here is used many times to refer to something positive. The Apostle Paul will say all the time how much he longs to be with his friends when he writes them a letter. He uses the same word, that word desire. Or he'll talk about having this longing to be near to Jesus. It's that word desire. Desire in and of itself is not bad. But what Peter is going to say throughout this letter, we'll come across this again in this series. He's going to talk about this word desire. And he's cautioning his readers. He's going, listen, there are things that you will desire that will seek to control you. 
There are these desires that when you live for them, they have a way of beginning to guide your life or to try to dictate the things that you live for, and you end up being enslaved by these desires. This is why in verse 18, he says, listen, you were redeemed from that way of life. That word redeemed means ransomed. He said, listen, when you lived by the pattern of the world in ignorance and you were controlled by your desires, you were living as a prisoner. He says, you were enslaved to the things that you longed for. Because here's what I believe. You know, if you are unaware of the ways of God and you have to try to make sense of this world and all of its complexities, you're only left with what your natural mind and your natural body actually long for. And so you begin being controlled by the things that you feel like you need or the things you feel like you want or the things that the culture tells you you need, the things the culture tells you you should want. And you long for those things long enough and they begin to control you. But here's the thing, the, the things of this world, they never really fully satisfy, do they? I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I, it's not just, you know, we talk a lot about being controlled by addictions and bad things, you know, drugs and alcohol and sex and everything else, but almost anything you desire can turn around and control you. I see this at work um, in, in my kid's life in a really innocent way, you know, like my oldest son, Elijah, he's eight years old kid loves Legos. I mean, he lives for Legos. Like, if we would let him, he would sit in his room 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and just build and play, build and play. And I've noticed this thing at work in him that he will have a desire for a new Lego set, and he'll talk about it and talk about it, and then maybe he'll get it for his birthday or for Christmas. He'll be so excited. He'll go to his room. He'll build it, and not one minute after he has built it, I'll walk into his room, and he's looking at the catalog of Legos going, man, Dad, that's what I want. And I'm like, you have what you want, like in your hands. But he's not satisfied by it anymore. It didn't last. I think that's why Paul talks about this empty way, or Peter talks about this empty way of life. He says, because when you're dictated and guided by your desires, even once you get them, you're still left feeling empty and longing for something else and something more. And so the pattern of the world that lives in ignorance of the goodness of God is controlled by whatever our body longs for, our minds long for, and it begins to control us. But he says, listen, the pattern of the kingdom is marked by this sober attentiveness. Now, no, that doesn't sound very exciting or sexy, so let me tell you what sober attentiveness means. In verse 13, Peter's going to use this phrase. He says, with minds that are alert. Now, the original language, uh, this phrase isn't going to sound very exciting either, I'll just tell you, but it's the, the original language was this phrase, gird up the loins of your mind. I mean, who doesn't get pumped up about girding up <laughs> the loins of their mind? Uh, so, you know, this phrase, gird up your loins, it would have meant a whole lot to his readers. You see, in Peter's day, both men and women alike, they wore long robes. And if you were going to run at any speed to cover any distance or to be active at all, you had to take your robe, and they called it girding up your loins. You would wrap up your robe and wrap it around your waist so that your legs would be free to run. And so what, what, what Peter is saying is here is, listen, when you step into life with Jesus, put on your running shoes, put on your gym clothes, get your mind ready for action. Because life with Jesus is not just about coming to church on a Sunday morning. It's not just about all the things you have to let go of or get rid of. No, life with Jesus is this continual invitation to meaning, purpose, and significance that you never could have dreamt for yourself. He's saying, get your mind ready for action. Because when you are alert and ready for the things that God is inviting you into, there is nothing boring about that life. I watch this play out in our church family all the time. I see men and women in our church whose minds are attentive and just paying attention to where God is trying to get their attention for something more 
I think about just earlier this year, something really simple. It was just a couple in our church, Kayla and Kyle Mann, and uh, Kayla saw this need at a Native American reservation where she read that children were dying because of extreme cold, and all they needed was some blankets to be donated. And Kayla just felt this invitation. Her mind was attentive and ready, and she felt God saying, hey, you can do that. And she's like, I could do that. I can get blankets. So she starts collecting blankets here at Ethos and with her friends. And before she knows it, she has a living room full of blankets. And her and her husband, Kyle, throw these blankets on a truck and they drive out and they hand deliver these blankets to kids that need them because God said, are you ready? I've got action for you to live into. I think about a young woman in our church who just moved to the Philippines because God began to put it on her heart to work with women who were being rescued from sex trafficking. So now she's living in the Philippines doing something she never could have dreamt of for herself, getting to love on and serve these women who have been mistreated so poorly. Yeah, I think about the, the normal everyday things. Shauna and Jonathan Sheehan, yeah, they were here at the nine this morning. You know, back in fast forward, when we did our fast at the beginning of the year, they sensed God saying to them, hey, hey I, I want you to start loving on the, the refugee population here in Nashville. So their minds were ready for action. They started to look. What were the opportunities? And before they knew it, God brought this couple to them who had been uh, converted to Christianity from Islam. They had found Jesus, come to know Jesus. And now Jesus has put it on their hearts, this couple, to start reaching out to their Muslim friends so they could know the love of Jesus. And Shauna and Jonathan have just been walking with them. They've helped them get a car. Tonight, they're helping them throw a party to honor some of their Muslim friends, to serve them and to love them. And I'm like, man, right here in our city, because their minds were attentive and alert and paying attention to the things that God was inviting them into. You see, the pattern of the kingdom is this alert mind, ready for action. But he doesn't just stop with that. He also says, listen, I want you to be sober as well. Be attentive, be ready for action, but be sober-minded. You know, being sober is not just about the absence of drunkenness. I think being sober also is talking about, hey, be wary of letting the mind wander into any kind of mental intoxication that will inhibit your spiritual alertness. You know, Peter knows how easy it is for us as Christians to lose our spiritual concentration because we become mentally intoxicated with the things of this world, things that actually have some goodness in them. I think it's important that we have to take note that there are things in our life that can be good, like career, possessions, recreation, relationships and friendships, your reputation, your education. All of these things can be good, but Peter is saying, listen, when you live by the pattern of the kingdom, you've gotta be sober-minded towards those things. Have a career, but don't let that career dictate or control your life. Hey, have possessions, but don't live just for those possessions and don't let them own you. It's okay to want a reputation, but don't be defined by what you think everybody else thinks about you. Find your identity and definition in God alone. He says, hey, be ready for action. And if you wanna be ready for action, you gotta protect your mind from being numbed by all the distractions that this world tries to throw at you. And so the pattern of the world is just being pulled to and fro by every desire because you're ignorant to the ways of God. But the pattern of the kingdom is living with an attentive and alert mind, sober to the things around you so that you can hear the voice of God inviting you into more for your life. But I think ultimately, you know, I talked about knitting, how the pattern kind of dictates the product you end up with. We've got to answer the question, what is the product? What's the product you end up with with each of these patterns? I think Peter kind of lays it out really clearly. You know, at the beginning of chapter two, he starts to tell you, hey, you've got to rid yourself of things like malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, slander, bitterness, 
You see, because when you are controlled by your desires, when all you long for is to satisfy the things that you want, then people, the people around you, they either become a means to an end to that desire or they become an obstacle to getting that desire. And when you live life that way, you will inevitably mistreat the people around you. And the fruit, the product of that pattern is a life that is full of envy and discord and strife and bitterness and hurtfulness. And it's like that's just the fruit of living by desire. But throughout this text, Peter is going to throw out some things. We're saying, here, I want you to see the fruit and the product of living by the pattern of the kingdom. He says this in verse 21, you know, he starts talking about, hey, listen, you have faith and hope in God because of the power he put on display in Jesus' resurrection. And you know, the product of the pattern of the kingdom is this fullness of faith, fullness of hope. In verse 22, he starts talking about this sincere love of having a deep love for the people around you. That's the product of living in line with the pattern of the kingdom. And then, of course, at the beginning of chapter 2, he starts talking about growing up into your salvation. The product of living by the pattern of the kingdom is that you are no longer enslaved, being dictated like a child by all of your desires. Instead, you grow up into full adulthood, getting to discern what is good and what is right and helping others to do the same. You see, the product of living by the pattern of the kingdom are all these beautiful fruits. And what what Peter is going to say is, listen, the product that comes from the pattern of the world he keeps using this word perishable. See, listen, all the things you can gain, all the things that you can gain, they, they don't lead anywhere. They lead to emptiness. I got to think that when Peter wrote this, he was probably thinking about all the words that he heard his friend and Lord Jesus say over and over again. He, he would have been standing right there when Jesus said in Mark 8, hey, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world, but they lose their soul? He would have been standing there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus cautioned and said, listen, you can't serve both God and money. You just can't do it. And when he said, listen, instead of storing up treasures here, store up treasures in heaven where the stock market can't make it all go away, where rust can't decay it, where things can't come and steal it away from you, but it is secure for you. That's where our treasures need to be. You see, the pattern of this world leads to perishable fruit perishable products. I mean, the pattern of the kingdom leads to eternal life, eternal rewards, eternal goodness, eternal intimacy. Now, I, I could tell a lot of stories about how this works in our lives, um, but this morning, I, I want to tell you one story. I want to tell you the story about a family right here in our church who are in the process of listening to God, inviting them in, and stepping into action and going when he says go. And so we're going to watch a quick video, and then I'm going to introduce you uh, to this couple. So let's watch this video together. Hi, we're Travis and Amy Arnold. We have two beautiful daughters, Crady and Bishop, and we are getting ready to move our family to South Africa. I have been in law enforcement for 14 years, and I'm currently a sergeant with the Metro Nashville Police Department. At the beginning of 2017, I felt God was doing something inside of me. I couldn't pinpoint it or define it, but he was slowly taking away some earthly desires I had for some things, and I believe he was preparing me for something. Then in July, I heard about Love Justice International, 
which is a Christian organization that fights human trafficking. This began a period of fasting and praying and searching scriptures to really see where God was going to lead us on this journey. Um, during those months, we saw several doors close and several open, and that has led us to the Love Justice team in South Africa. In 10 years, Love Justice has intercepted over 10,000 victims. The way Love Justice in particular fights human trafficking is they have had great success in airports and at border crossings, intercepting victims before they even make it to the brothels. So in the Johannesburg airport, we have four monitors right now. They are looking for people that they think are being trafficked and intercepting them at that moment. They're seeing red flags or pulling them aside and asking them a series of questions. Sometimes that is the first moment these people realize that they are being trafficked. I'm investigative manager. Once they gather more information, especially about who the traffickers are, they hand that information off to the investigators. So we are helping develop and wrap up a solid case and hand it to those we trust in the government to go prosecute. I had never fathomed that law enforcement skills could be used globally to rescue people from human trafficking. Yeah, it was, it was exciting to um, see this spark come alive in Amy to realize that the skills that she had were something that God would use um, to help a lot of people. Would you guys help me welcome Amy and Travis Arnold up here this morning? <clears throat> Now, I know, um, so I know it was in the video, but just to kind of let you know, so Amy and Travis are in the process of getting ready to move to Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, she's going to be working with Love Justice, uh, uh, helping uh, kind of rescue people from human trafficking. And I, I love it. Amy, could you just tell us a, a little bit so that everybody kind of has an understanding? I think when I think of human trafficking, I, I don't even know what to, could you just talk about what you're going to be doing exactly uh, when you get there? Sure. So um, the biggest, the biggest way people are trafficked is by deception. Um, they are promised a good job or promised a marriage. You also have mothers, especially poor areas who are willingly giving their children to these people, not knowing they're traffickers, but for thinking that they're going to have a better life th than they did. Maybe they're going to learn a skill. They're going to learn to sew. They're going to learn to carpentry. And so deception is, is for sure the biggest way. So we are intercepting them uh, in airports and in borders before they even make it to their final destination yeah. usually. So they think they're signing up for something different. Their kid's going to get to go work to earn mm -hmm. money for the family. Yep. Or uh, you said one was like a, a mission trip. They yeah. offered all of that. And you guys see them at the airport and you have red flags you look for. Mm -hmm. And if you find them, then you get to kind of intercept them before they actually end up getting trafficked. Yes. Um, I know we talked about this. I'd love for you to share. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of you can picture in your mind what that even looks like. And I think stories sometimes help us grasp uh, kind of what it is that, that people do. And so could you share some of how that has looked yeah. um, before that people have been kind of intercepted? Yeah. So a couple stories from this Johannesburg airport was there was, as you mentioned, there was two girls uh, going on a mission trip. And I'm not sure what country they were from, but they were coming into South Africa. The monitors heard that their tickets had been paid for. And that was very unusual. That was like one of their red flags. That was unusual for a short-term mission trip. So they began talking to the girls. They're like, oh, no, it's fine. So-and-so is meeting us. We're going to pick us up. We're going to go do this thing. So the, our monitors went and met the man who was picking them up and asked him a series of questions. He said, oh, I'm taking them across the border to work at a church for 10 months. 
They came back and told the girls that, and the girls were like, that is not what we signed up for at all. And that honestly was the, was the moment they realized they were being trafficked. Mm. And in that instance, we were able to send them back home, and they were safe. And, you know, that, that, was, that, was, the inter, that was two intercepts right there. Another story, a unique story, is um, Love Justice. One of our monitors ran across a woman who looked kind of beaten and malnourished and um, just kind of dazed out and confused. So they just went to help her. They said, ma'am, you know, can we look at your ticket, your itinerary? Can we help you? Found out she had missed her plane, um, saw that she had come from Kuwait. Well, our monitor knew that in recent months, 200 people were rescued out of slavery in Kuwait. So that kind of sparked a red flag for him. And um, anyway, found out that this woman had been had been enslaved in Kuwait, was being shipped back home. She was so sick, she wasn't able to do her job, um, being sent back home, and we, we intercepted her there and then got her to a safe place. The, the cool thing about that was, although that woman lived years in slavery, that is now what we know, that is a new red flag for us. So since then, we've intercepted two groups of girls who were going to Kuwait that we now knew that that was a big problem area. So we've been able to save lots of girls intercepting that way because of her story. That's incredible. You know, I don't know what you've thought of with human trafficking, but I remember when Amy was telling that to me, I was just so shocked that like, you know, I think I always imagined some place and far off somewhere else in the world, somebody breaking into someone's house and kidnapping. But this is like people that are actually trying to do something good. And they've just been lied to, bold-faced lied to, and then they show up and then they're taken away and never seen again, locked away somewhere, or put to work in a brothel or whatever. And so they're going to be working to intercept these people before they end up getting trafficked. It's just an incredible, incredible mission, incredible calling. Um, I'd love for you to talk some, you know, you've lived in Nashville your whole life, right? And you've been a police officer for how long? 14 years. 14 years as a police officer here in Nashville. And yeah, it's that's, that's incredible. And now all of a sudden you're... Packing up your husband, your two kids, and you're moving to Johannesburg, South Africa, a place that you had never even been until January, right? Um, man, God had to do something to get your attention. Can you talk some about what, what was that like? How did he, and we talked about having a mind that is attentive. How did he begin to get your attention and invite you into this? So uh, last year, this time, I didn't even know Love Justice existed. And in July, I was in the cannery talking to a friend of mine who also worked for Metro, who was leaving to go to, to work in Nepal for Love Justice. Had a conversation with him. I keep looking back there because it was right back there where we were standing. Um, and just instantly intrigued. I just never thought that, like I said, we're, we're, not, we're not medical missionaries. We're not, we, we don't do that sort of stuff. So I never just thought law enforcement could be used in that way. So I was instantly intrigued. And then just, we became a period of just seeking out God and, and waiting and praying. And um, my initial prayer was, all right, God, let's, we want to do it. Like, Lord, send me. And then my next prayer was, I don't want to pick the country. That's too big a responsibility. I wanted, I really wanted God to show us because I didn't want to go someplace because I thought it was cool or I thought it'd be mm -hmm. a fun place to live. Um, so a lot of waiting happened. And I've learned a lot of things in that. You got to listen to God. One of my lifelong mentors was like, Amy, you can read, you can pray and all this stuff and you need to, but you also just got to be still and mm -hmm. you got to just listen and that was very hard. We're not used to that in our society. We, we don't, we like, I love distractions. I don't want to just sit. Um, you know, it's funny, as you said that, my, my phone just buzzed <laughs> in, in my pocket, just vibrated somebody texting me. And I think, I think that's w one of the things I love about your story is that, you know, we talked about the pattern of the kingdom. And as you were talking about that this morning, you talked about being 
He said, you know, there were times where I knew I needed to be alone with God. There were times that she spent in the Word, times that she would be praying. But you begin to realize that there are some things you can't make it happen. You had to sit and wait and be patient. And that is one of the patterns of the kingdom, is being able to be still before God and to trust. I think the pattern of the world always teaches to go make it happen, make it happen, make it happen, which produces anxiety and stress. And it sounds like what you were having to learn is this pattern of like, hey, be still and wait and let the Lord do what he wants to do. Um, what, what is the, um, I, I love that story, by the way. For those of you that think, man, God, God would never get my attention. I mean, just here at the cannery, regular Sunday, together with Ethos, and she's talking to a friend, and all of a sudden there's just this, something grabs her heart. It's that, remember that, gird up the loins of your mind. Amy had the, she had the loins of her mind, gird it up, you know. She was ready to go and receive that invitation and step into action. It's really beautiful. Um, now, I know that along the way there's, there's fears anytime you step into something big like this. Um, what have been the, the kind of the fears that you have faced or are facing, and how are you working through those? So um, my biggest fear is probably the safety of our family while we're there. It's a pretty dangerous country. As, as modern as it is, it definitely has its major issues. Um, so, you know, here in America, like, you know, I carry pistols almost everywhere I go. Like, that's my right, you know, all this stuff. And, You're going to start and a I, political debate. Nobody <laughs> come debate Amy at the end of this. Nobody debate okay. her. Um, but, you know, I'm, I think that I can protect my family or do a pretty good job of protecting my family here. Um, I can't do that over there. It's too, everything has 10 to 12 foot walls, electrified fencing over it. If I try to think about how I'm going to do this over there, I easily, and I have, become just paralyzed with fear. And I can't, do the, I can't do the work that I'm supposed to do if I'm living in fear. So it took me longer than I'd like to admit, but to just really give that to God and say, God, you, you ha- that's too big of a job for me. You, mm-hmm. You're going to protect our family. And then, um, you know, someone, a wise woman told me, um, you're, the safest place to be is in God's will. So that's a scary prayer to pray, because you don't know what's going to happen. God never calls us to be safe. And that was one of the biggest realizations on this yeah. journey, too, that he calls us a lot of things, but he doesn't promise us Yeah, safety. I love that, though. You know, the pattern, one of the, one of the fruits of the patterns of this world is always this kind of lie that you're never going to have enough and that you always have to look out for yourself, and that produces fear and worry. But the, kind of the pattern of the kingdom produces that peace and being able to trust God completely. If he called you into it, he's going to equip you. You know, Travis, I, I think for you, um, I'd love to hear for you because this is unique for you as well. I mean, as a husband, you're watching your wife like quit her job and having to raise her own salary. She's having to raise funding to pay herself to be over there. And it's a lot of sacrifice for you. And so I'd love just two things. One, uh, what has it been like for you to watch her do that? And what has that done in your heart? But then also, I'm sure you've had fears as well. What have been the fears that you've had to kind of work through in this? Sure. Um, no, it's been, it's been really exciting um, to see you know, to see the spark come alive in her. Um, that, that day uh, that she was talking with Adam, whenever we, we got out to the car, that was one of the very, very first things we talked about. Like she was, you know, sharing the conversation. I was just like, are we going somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, yeah, I think so. Um, so, you know, that kind of like just started, um, started that journey. And it, and it was cool to see how, you know, all of the, all of the, ways that God has made and formed Amy, um, you know, it all comes together in this purpose. Um, and like she said, we're not doctors, we're not engineers, you know, so we, we can't go out and like build a bridge or dig a well or do a medical mission trip. Um, but this is, this is something that, 
that she can do. And like mm. before that moment, never thought that, that it was something that God would use in that way. But it, it really is. Um, I just want, it's amazing that to, to see a husband who's willing to go, okay, I want to empower my wife to live into the dreams that God's put on her heart and your willingness to, because it's, it's probably a little less than convenient for you <laughs> to do this, I'm guessing. You're like, yeah. it's going to mean some big transitions and switches for you. So what fears have come to you in the middle of, of all of that? Um, yeah, I, it's, it's that fear of, of kind of letting go of the plans, right? Like, I'm, I'm here, you know, I've got my job, we've got our house, we're, you know, raising our family and, and just kind of like, you know, building all of that, setting all that up for future success. Um, and then, you know, this, this is kind of, you know, just a, a change to all of that. And um, I, I'm a planner. I love to plan. I, like, if the plan changes, that's okay. Like I can, I can shift and go with it. I can be spontaneous, but I still like to have all of that planned and figured out. So, um, so yeah, it's like, hey, we can be spontaneous. Let's go to South Africa. <laughs> um, but then the, then the other, the fear side of that sets in of like, well, what that was never about, in yeah. like any of the plans before. Yeah. And how do we, you know, what about in the future when, when this season is done and we're trying to figure out all reentry and I've given up to, yeah. career and all of that. But, um, you know, that's, that's just something that, um, like Amy has said, um, that I've had to learn just to let go and, and give over to God, to know that he's got that plan. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, like I said, Amy's having to kind of raise her own salary in order to go do this. If you've ever done any kind of fundraising, you know what a journey of faith that is. Um, and so I'm just excited because I've, I've seen our church family respond so well so many times to people who are in need or trying to step into the things God's put on their hearts. And so on your chairs, you will have found a little orange sheet of paper. And if you're sitting there going, man, this is incredible. I, I, want, I want to help. Or man, it's incredible. I think I could do something like that. Um, it's got all of their information on it. Um, if you're interested in being a part of their journey, just take that sheet of paper with you. Keep it. Um, you can also come talk to them after we're done here. Um, Amy, I'd love to you share real quick just one more thing. You know, I think you said, you know, we're not doctors, we're not engineers, and I'm, I'm looking around here. There's probably hundreds of people sitting here. Right now. Yeah, but I'm not a police officer either. Like, what is, what is the thing that I offer? And I'd love, could you just say something to people who are sitting there and go, man, I'd love to step into something, but I don't think God could ever use me to do something with so much purpose. Um, I would say I, I was in your shoes before I ever found about this last July. I just well, didn't even cross my mind. Um, God, God made you with certain talents and certain qualities, and there's, there's a place for that. It may not be in another country. It may be here. It may be, it may be you know, it doesn't have to be as, as, as big as this may seem. Um, but he's made you, and he will use you to his glory, and I just... I keep thinking about listening. Like, mm -hmm. you just got to listen, and it's, and it's hard. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins yeah. of your mind. Um, but, yeah, I would say that there's a purpose. And if you, if you can't think you can't do something like this, then you can, you can support people who, who do this. You know, you can, there's, there's lots of opportunity. That's what I love about Ethos is we're an action church, and, you know, there's plenty of, plenty of stuff to do. But, but just yeah. listen and pray and be open. No, yeah. matter what it, no matter what you think it is, just be That's open. Good. You know, one of the, thing, the fun things about walking with God is that when he begins to call you into something, he always gives you what you need to step into it. And so here, you know, uh, these two fears of, of kind of the, 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 the fear of not being, being able to plan, the fear of not being able to keep people safe, you know, and he's giving them everything they need to step through that. And some of you, God is inviting you into things right here in Nashville, 
with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends. It's not always, it doesn't always require picking up and moving to another country. And just know that when he begins to invite you, you know, and you're listening and you're ready for action, he's going to give you all that you need to be able to step into the thing he's asking you to do. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, I want to pray for Amy and Travis. And, um, and uh, after we do that, uh, I'm going to just say we're going to do com- take communion. Now we're going to continue in our time of worship. Um, and here's what I want to encourage you. As you take communion this morning, uh, as you worship this morning, as you get together and talk and pray, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, I want you to think, just examine the pattern of your life right now and play out that pattern 5, 10, 20 years down the road. And is it going to bring about the product that you're hoping that your life will look like? Is it going to bring about eternal fruit or is it leading to something else? And what could be changed in that pattern so that you could be attentive and sober and ready for deeper intimacy with God to live the adventurous life with him? For those of you that are not followers of Jesus, um, you know, if, if this is intriguing to you, and I realize some of you are going, I don't know that I want that life. And if that's where you're at, that's okay. We're so glad you're here. Um, you're always welcome here. But some of you may be sitting there going, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And some of this sounds thrilling and exciting, but kind of nerve wracking as well. How do I get that? You know, Jesus says, hey, listen, when you ask, you shall receive. He says, when you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be open. And so if you're interested in stepping into the kingdom pattern of intimacy with God, just talk to somebody that's here with you you need somebody to talk to, we'll have men and women kind of standing over here by these respond banners. We would love to talk with you about what it means to walk with Jesus. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. May stand here and um, it's just kind of a, a sign of nearness and closeness to Amy and Travis since we can't all get around them and put our hands on them. I just encourage you to reach out your hands to them as though you're right here with them. And I'm going to say a prayer of blessing over them and, uh, and then we're going to worship and take communion together. God, thank you so much for the way that you work in our lives. Lord, thank you for Travis and for Amy. Lord, their courage, their willingness to listen, their willingness to let go, fix their eyes on you. I think about something that Amy said in the video where she said that you began to pull away desires from her or change her desires. And Lord, that is just, it's amazing that she yielded to that and said, okay, God, what do you have for me? And you've just radically changed the trajectory of their life that a little over a year ago, there's no way they ever would have imagined this is where their lives would be going. So Father, I want to pray. First, Lord, will you provide for them? Give them all they need as they step out in faith. Father, will you protect them? Go before them. Fill them with your spirit, Lord. I pray for safety and travel. I pray for them to find just the right house, the right place to live. Father, I pray that you protect Amy and her line of work. I pray, Father, you'd let your favor rest on her. I know, Lord, your heart is for justice. So, Lord, I pray that you would just anoint her as she works for justice in another country. Lord, that you would give her the the privilege and the joy of watching people's lives change for the good because of your work in her life. Lord, I pray for Travis as he continues to lay down his life, just like you did, Jesus, for your church. As he lays down his life so that his wife can step fully into the, the calling you've given her, would you just fill him with your spirit? Equip him for all that he's going to have to do when he gets over there. Lord, prepare them just for culture shock. Prepare them, Father, with friendships, with a church family, God. Just surround them and go before them. Lord, this morning as we gather with them around the communion table, would you remind us that we all are on the same adventure, all on the same journey. And Lord, I pray that you would begin calling some of us, even just to talk to the people that live around us and work with us and are in school with us, people that we pass on the street and 
God, would you just equip us to be a church family that is action-oriented, sober-minded, not lured into the ways of the world, but ready just to live and live fully for your glory. Come, Lord, come as we commune and as we worship. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.